This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. So is anyone in here, do you have a family with a SAMS membership? Anyone? Sam's membership, awesome. Did you know that for 45 bucks a year, you can have a baseline Sam's membership? That means you get the little card that says you're a member. You can walk in the doors. You can buy giant items at wholesale, which is great. You can get an enormous slice of pizza, a hot dog, a drink, and a churro for like $3. It's awesome. It's actually really easy to be a member of Sam's, and the benefits are pretty great. But in other cultures... Sometimes membership is very difficult. There, is, there are tribes in West Africa that it is a rite of passage for children to have tribal markings carved or burned into their faces. It's excruciating for the children, and yet they grow up wearing these marks with pride. These marks symbolize their tribes. They symbolize their families. They wear them as, as standards of beauty. Can you imagine the pain that you're putting a little kid through to go through this? And yet, they have no citizenship, no membership in their tribe unless they have these decorative scars on their face. They can't have a tribal king. He would have to have these markings. Even even peer-to-peer greetings, whenever they see each other on the street, if they don't have those markings, they look down on them. If you want to be an equal, then you have these facial scars. It's interesting, the cost of membership that you see everywhere between Sam's Club to the tribes in West Africa. Now, we've been digging into Colossians. I hope you've been enjoying it. It's been deep. It's been complex. It's been beautiful. It's lifted Jesus up and and who he is, made it plain and clear. We know that because of a man named Epaphras, this church is in a healthy place. Paul is actually combating a heresy. These false beliefs are pushing into the church, and Paul is having to deal with them. And the first thing he does to deal with these heresies is just give an an accurate view of Jesus. This heresy promotes some sort of great knowledge or philosophy through the influence of demonic spirits. And Paul is pointing out that all knowledge... All the treasures of wisdom and philosophy are found in Jesus. Everything else is empty lies. I even tried to give away $30 last week, and yet everyone bought into the empty lies philosophies. Disappointing, you guys. I had extra money for other people. Actually, I only had 20 on me. I was banking on one of you, buying into the dark philosophy of the empty bucket. Let's turn our Bibles to Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Marks of membership. The rights of belonging. These are powerful things throughout human history. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to go to verse 11. We're going to... Turn away from there four different times, so make sure you keep your your finger in that spot and get back to it quickly. Colossians chapter 2. Now, we have just talked about 
the heresies. They're pushing the stuff. And Paul's saying they have nothing. There's no other belief system that offers what Jesus has. And coming out of that, he's going to talk about Jesus's membership for his people into his kingdom. And it changes. It changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And that's where we're going to begin tonight. But to understand the New Testament rite of passage, you have to understand the Old Testament rite of passage. So bear with me, and I'm going to handle this as appropriately and delicately as I can, but you have to get foundation. So you're ready to go. I'm calling you to maturity. Elevate men and women of God. Let's go. Chapter 2, verse 11. In him, this is Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is the whole fullness of deity. This is who Jesus is. He is over all authority. So it's in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sins, in your iniquity, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by the canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. That's where we're going tonight. Are you guys ready to unpack this one line at a time? This is so beautiful. So apparently this heresy that's coming into the church is mixing with old Jewish customs. The old Jewish custom of saying that you can't be in society. You can't be in the faith unless you've been circumcised. Now, for those of you that this is the first time you've heard of this word, circumcision, welcome. It's okay. Bear with me. This is a practice that was performed on Jewish males, beginning with Abraham. Go back there in a little bit. God instructed that all the males on the eighth day after they were born to have the excess skin cut from their boy part. Bear with me. This mark marked them as a member of the family of Israel. And it also marked that they were in the, the genetic lineage of Abraham. But circumcision had an even greater meaning. And I don't want you to miss this meaning because it's the foundation of where we're going tonight. So let's begin with the question, why on earth? Why on earth would God use circumcision as a sign of a covenant, of being a part of the, of the Jewish family? So let's go. We're gonna, I'm going to walk through some of these verses, and I'll give you one that we're going to turn to in a second. If we go all the way back to the very beginning, this is Genesis chapter 1. God has created everything there is, and he's created the pinnacle of his creation. His signature on the universe was you and me, mankind. And God, in chapter 1, verse 28, says, and God blessed them, period. God's blessing, his favor, his love was on man. Then we fast forward two chapters into Genesis chapter 3, and what does man do? Man has one rule to show God that he obeys God, that he loves God, that his fidelity was to God Almighty. And he breaks that rule to choose himself, to rebel against God, worshiping himself, worshiping herself, Adam and Eve. 
they take the forbidden fruit, right? Now, after they eat this fruit and they realize that they're in sin now, God comes through the garden in this personal, intimate way. He comes walking through the garden to have a relationship with them, except they were cut off. They were separated. They knew they were in sin. And God lays a curse on the serpent that tempted them. Adam receives a curse. Eve receives a curse. The ground receives a curse. Creation has come under the bondage of sin, separated from the good God that was blessing them. And this is what he says to the serpent. He says, on your belly, you're going to go the rest of your life. This doesn't mean that, that he had his arms cut off. This means that he will crawl in defeat. This was a war statement that the enemy has been defeated. He is eating dust. He is crawling all your existence, devil. You will be living in defeat. And let me tell you this, and he makes a promise. He says that her seed, Eve's descendant, Adam and Eve's descendants, their genetic line, somewhere down the genetic line, there's going to come one, a male descendant. And guess what, devil? You're going to bruise his heel. You're going to strike his heel. You're going to get a blow in. You're going to get some punches. You're going to make him bleed. But he will crush your head. Your blow will make him bleed. His blow will be fatal. You will be defeated ultimately in the dust. So now we have sin and we have God's promise to defeat sin and to crush the tempter once and for all. But that promise is coming through the seed, their descendants, their offspring. So now we fast forward, and you can trace this line of the seed. You trace it through the line of Seth, Adam's son, and you trace it through Noah, and you trace it through Noah's son, Shem, all the way until you get to Abraham. And things start becoming a lot more clear and interesting. God speaks to Abraham of all the families in the world, of all the millions and millions and millions of people that are alive, God speaks to Abraham. And he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm picking you. It's going to be through your descendants, through your family tree, that I'm going to, keyword, bless all the families of the earth. So what was lost at creation in the fall of man was this blessing of relationship between God and man. And what's going to be recaptured through this descendant of Abraham is that blessing, that reuniting between God and man. All the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring, your seed, Abraham, but there is a problem. Abraham has no children, and he's old, and his wife is old, and she's past menopause. It's not happening. So God has made a promise that can't be fulfilled. We have an issue. The seed is at stake. This coming Messiah, this coming Savior that's going to crush evil and crush the tempter can't happen. And so God makes a promise to Abraham that he's going to give him a son, the son of promise. And Abraham believes God, and God says that he counted it to Abraham as righteousness. And Abraham was, ju was justified. He was saved by his faith in God's promises. So turn with me. Keep your thumb in Colossians. Let's go back to Abraham's story. We're going to go to Genesis 15, way in the, in the front, Genesis 15. I want you to see this culminate a little bit. 
because we're going to use some language you're going to hear the rest of tonight and hopefully the rest of your life because you're going to keep loving God's word. Genesis chapter 15. God has made this promise to Abraham. God comes and visits him, and Abraham's like, I'm 99. I'm not having kids anytime soon. And God says, this time, next year, you're going to have a son. And it'll be through this son that I'm going to make a covenant, a promise. Do you know what a covenant is? It's like the heaviest vow promise that you can make. But a covenant is attached an agreement. You agree to your side of the covenant. I agree to my side of the covenant. And most covenants have blessings and curses. If you break the covenant, you come under such and such curses or punishments. And if you keep the covenant, you receive such and such blessings. Well, God gives Abraham a covenant. Genesis chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. After these things, you can go read about those things later. The word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord, came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, oh, Yahweh God, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. We don't even know who that is. It's probably some servant kid that Abram has living there. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring. There's no seed to carry on the line. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Your very own son will be your heir. And he brought him outside. God brought Abram outside and he said, look toward heaven and count the stars. If you're able to, number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now God has him go through this covenant-making ritual. But let's jump down to verse 18. At the end of the ritual, verse 18, it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring, I'm going to give this land. And he lists how vast the land is. And if you want to, you can jump with me one more chapter to chapter 17. I'm going to go read verse 9 through 13. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my, there's that key word, covenant. You and your offspring after you through their generations. So Abraham, I'm starting something now with you. And this is going to go through all your family. We're looking forward towards this coming redeemer, this coming seed who will bring a blessing to all the families of the earth. Verse 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, if you fast forward to 21, Abraham finally receives his son, and on the eighth day, he fulfills his side of the covenant and circumcises Isaac. Why, oh why, oh why, circumcision? And I'll give you the three things that you need to know that are going to point directly to Colossians chapter 2. And this is so incredible. Please track with me. The first one is that we have to understand that mankind is corrupted with sin. Every generation is inheriting the sin nature from their parents. David says, in sin, my mother bore me. We, have, we are born sinners. Wait till you have kids someday. 
They are little sinners. They are selfish little brats who hurt each other, who want what they want, who are just ugly for no reason. They just need Jesus. And every generation is inheriting this sin nature, generation after generation after generation. But pay attention. Every generation that receives the sin nature is also under God's curse. Every generation is inheriting the sin nature, which means they're inheriting God's curse, his judgment towards sin, which is hell. And that's being passed down generationally. Number two, God made a promise through Adam and Eve that it would be through her seed, through her offspring, so that generation after generation is passing down the promise that that curse will be defeated in a coming redeemer through the seed, through the offspring. So every generation is a new generation that is under a promise, a hope that this curse will not be for forever. And third, God established a covenant, not with the whole world, but specifically with Abraham's genetic family. It'll be through Abraham that their family will be the conduit of the coming Savior. Through Abraham, there would be this blessing. And this blessing wouldn't just be to Abraham's genetic family, but to every family on earth. So why circumcision? It represented the promise of God, and Abraham's family would carry its symbolism in the part of their body that carries the seed forward generationally. This generational covenant points to and will culminate in the promised Redeemer. So whenever we can go back to Colossians, take a look at this now. Let's go back to Colossians 2.11. In Jesus also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So you have to realize that we're talking about a covenant. God is establishing a covenant with these Christians. But this is not the old kind of circumcision. This is a new kind. This is a new covenant symbol. This is a new thing that God is doing. And it's not just Abraham's family. This is everyone, all the families of the earth, have the opportunity to come under the blessing, to come under the curse being broken. Are you still tracking with me? But this is not like the old circumcision made with hands. This is one that's done spiritually, one that can't be done by man. It must be done by God. By the putting off the body of flesh. Made without hands. It's internal, it's spiritual, it's done by God. And this is not a new idea. Back in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 through 33, it says, God is speaking to Jeremiah and he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. A new covenant with the house of Israel in the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers before. Not the covenant marked with circumcision. Not that covenant. I will put my law within them and I will write on their keyword hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. Deuteronomy 36 verse 6 says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, your seed, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone. Something's cut off, something's severed, something's taken away. I'm going to remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Romans 2, 28 through 29. And Paul is going on about this whole new circumcision thing, the circumcision of the heart that's inside, not just outside. Verse 28, for no one is a Jew. Think when you hear Jew in this, think of the context that this is a person of God. This is someone who's set apart by God, a spiritual Jew. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, as in having been circumcised physically in their flesh, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. Colossians chapter 2, putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, the Old Testament circumcision was snipping and discarding a tiny piece of flesh. But the new is that all of us, all of who we are, our entire sin nature, our selfish selves, our self-worshipping selves, are actually discarded, put off, set aside. In the new covenant, our old selves have been put away, put to death, and buried. And just like circumcision was a sign of the old covenant, there is a new visible sign for the new covenant. Let's go back to verse 12. Putting off the body of flesh. The whole body, the whole self is being put off by the circumcision of Christ. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. I want you to catch this idea of being in him. It doesn't say with Jesus, like you're walking arm in arm. It's like this intimate in him. You can find this at the end of verse 10. You find it in verse 11, verse 15. Throughout this, it talks about being in Christ, being in him, being in the Lord. And it's this intimate relationship, this connection. And being in him means that when he went to the cross, spiritually, the old you went with him. And when he was resurrected, back to life, the new you was brought to life. That's what it means to be in Christ, to be in him, is that we participate with him. Let's run back to Romans real quick. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, we're going to read four or five verses, so definitely go there and look at it with me. So you can track with me. Verses 2 through 6. This is so good. By no means, he's asking the question, should we just keep sinning so that God can give us more grace? No, by all means. How can we who died to sin? There's that idea of being in him. We were spiritually taken to the cross and died how can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There's a spiritual baptism that goes on at our conversion when we give our lives to Jesus, when we're saved. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self, our old me, old Dominic, selfish, self-centered, sin-natured Dominic, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, remember we're putting off the body of sin, the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So the mark of the new covenant, where it used to be circumcision in the physical flesh, the mark of the new is baptism. But this symbolic mark doesn't represent inherited sin anymore. This new mark of the covenant doesn't mean, look, we're still sinful. We still need a redeemer. This new mark of the covenant means it's been done. The redeemer has come. The curse of sin and death is broken. What we are inheriting is the finished, sufficient work which the redeemer did for his people. What does it mean to be submerged under the water? It means that all of you, the old self, has died and buried with Christ. What does it mean whenever you're pulled back above the water? It's that the new you is resurrected with Christ in him. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, that dipping backwards, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the picture of baptism. The old you is gone and the new you is resurrected with Christ. That is the covenant that's written on our hearts according to Jeremiah. It's inside. Our hearts are circumcised. All of us has been put off and separated and we're something new. Now, disclaimer, the act of water baptism is not going to save you any more than being physically circumcised would have saved the Jews. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is the outward symbolic mark of citizenship in his kingdom that's visible for everyone to see. There they are. That person is a part of the body of Christ. Their hearts have been changed, the heart of stone removed, the heart of flesh replaced. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace. It's symbolic of the work that God has done. Let's stop for a second. We who have been clothed in Jesus' righteousness, made holy before God, because of his taking our sin, we stand in a very unique and special place to be pure and holy before God. And this was paid for with the life of his son. How often 
Do we like to dabble, experiment, take peaks of the sin that we were set free from? It's like, I've been given a new name. I'm new in Christ. But man, that sin is good. I'm just going to, we're going to check it out. Just, yeah. We, we like to fool around just a little bit with the sin that we were saved from. It's just like my kids. Sometimes I'll have like a, we'll do dinner, and they get their dessert is like a gummy bear. <laughs> it's like, it's a, a single gummy bear. And we put it up by the plate. You know, after you're done with all your food and you're having a happy plate, a happy plate is an empty plate, then you can eat your gummy bear. And you, I will, it's amazing. You can watch my kids. They know they are not supposed to eat that until they're done with the whole thing. And so they'll like play with it. And they'll set it up, you know, and I'm like, eat your food. And I'll take a bite and they'll play with it again. They'll rub it on their face like this. They may get a little licking, you know. I'm not eating it. I'm just tasting it. And I'm like, get your gummy bear out of your mouth. And they're like, I'm not in my mouth, you know. We do the same thing with sin. When we're around the right people, we're like, I guess I can gossip a little bit. Alone with the phone, I'm not going to like plunge into the pornography that I used to be into, but maybe just dabble a little bit. Maybe just take it, just get as close as I can. That old sin that we were saved from, and I'll tell you the mark of a true, hungry believer in Jesus Christ. Someone who is genuinely, I want you to see this. Let's say right here is the line. This is sin. A true, hungry believer in Jesus Christ is never asking the question, how close can I get to sin before it's sin? Ever. Someone who is on fire in love with the God who saved them is saying, how far can I get from the disease of sin? I don't want to be anywhere near it. My God, my Savior, my Lord, my fidelity is holy and completely to you. Never once in my mind have I ever asked myself, how close can I be to another girl before it's actually cheating on my wife? Why do we ask that question about sin? I want to be as far away from any glimpse of sin between me and any other female on the planet because my whole self belongs to my wife. Why do we treat God like his salvation was cheap when it cost everything? Why do we dabble with sin? Galatians 5, 16 through 17, Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other. Every time we say, how close can I get to the line of sin? We're working against the very spirit that has saved us. How close can me and my girlfriend be before it's sin? How close? How angry do I have to get before it's sin? What words are, are actually too bad and what words are just kind of like on the line? What music is too far? What movies have too much in them? 
How close can I get to sin before? I think you know what I'm talking about now. But that's not you anymore. If you're saved in Christ, that is not you. That's not your nature anymore. You've been given the freedom to choose Jesus. And your fidelity is in him. Your heart has been transformed. It's been metamorphosized. There's, there's no more beautiful picture that I can think of than the whole caterpillar into butterfly illustration. This zillion leg bug turns into something beautiful through the chrysalis, through the darkness. You know, like it, it turns into goo in there. It doesn't just sprout wings. Like it is broken down and recreated into something new. It used to be bound to the earth, creeping, and it becomes weightless and free and flying. It's wrapped in a world of darkness, and then it breaks free into being bathed in sunlight. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus does in our hearts. Why do we want to go back to crawling on the ground? But the caterpillar doesn't hold a candle to the transformation of what God has done in us. Because God is not working with a living bug and changing him. He's working with a corpse and giving it life. Colossians 2, let's keep going. I'm going to start in verse 12 so we have context. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead, 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 gone, lifeless. You were a late version of yourself. Nomas, more, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive with him, having forgiven us our trespasses. That old you, the dead you, is put off. God is doing a spectacular miracle. God isn't like chest compressions. That's not what he's doing at the cross. God is taking bones that are dry, and he's putting skin and ligaments and muscles and breathing life into what was gone. He's doing a miracle in a spiritually dead corpse. Imagine a foot that's full of gangrene. It's rotting flesh. The only thing to do is to cut it off for the sake of the rest of the body. It's past hope. God is removing our entire corpse of gangrene so that he gives us new life. He's putting off the body of flesh and transforming us from death into life. It's entirely new. You're not the same anymore. John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, like a whole new, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A couple of verses later, he says, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is <laughs> in Christ, they are a new creation. New creation, brand new. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, back in the day when they did baptisms, they'd actually hold them under the water for a few seconds. Oh, whoosh. In the name of the Father. And the Son. And the Holy Spirit. And they pull them up, and the person comes up, and they go, And they did that because it represented being a newborn that comes out of breathing liquid and gasping for its first breath. It's symbolic. Everything about baptism is symbolic of this new creature, this new creation in Christ. God has offered us a tremendous relationship with himself. You know, it's really sad whenever believers, true believers, they come to know Christ and they, they put their faith in them. They repent of their sin and then they spend the rest of their life just gathering head knowledge about the Bible, just gathering head knowledge. When the whole point of this is going back to Genesis, what was lost was the blessing of relationship with God. What is restored is the blessing of relationship with God. And Christians miss out on walking in the presence of Jesus every day. So I challenge you, may your faith move past head knowledge into a heart connection of being in Christ, in relationship with him. How did God do this? How did he make us new? This is so cool. Let's go back to 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Trespasses. That's an interesting word. You know there's three different words for sin in the Bible? They all mean something different. Trespasses means betrayal. It means to offend someone on a relational level. So imagine that a stranger comes into your house and steals your stuff. You're like, oh man, that's bad. That's iniquity. The scales of justice are tipped against that person. But what if it was your friend that stole from you? Well, now trust has been broken. It's betrayal. And so we have a picture here. When we talk about trespasses, he's forgiven us our trespasses. You have to realize that our covenant, we broke covenant with God. We betrayed in our rebellion, but having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is cool. I loved this. The record of debt. This is talking about when someone became a debtor to a creditor. Maybe they owed seven years of servanthood or maybe they owed some large sum of money. They would, the person who's going to owe the money, writes up a form saying, I owe this much money, and they put their signature on it. And this document stands against them. If they don't fulfill their end, there's going to be punishment. There's going to be jail time. There's going to be greater fines. There's going to be whippings, whatever it is. There's going to be punishments if I do not fulfill what this document says. It stands against them, and it has their own signature on it. So he cancels the record of debt. The word cancel there is like a wiping away. Imagine a, a blackboard 
with chalk writing and that it's been wiped clean. It's canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's a record of debt against us. This bond of indebtedness. Our sin, our sin does more than just get us in trouble with each other. Like just because I steal Joel's stuff, that gets me in trouble with Joel. But our sin goes so much deeper than that because our, my sin isn't just against him. I've sinned against God. Jesus says, what you do the least of me is you've done to me. David says, against you, Lord, and against only you have I sinned. And so my sin is not just against Joel and however angry Joel is. My sin is against God who has perfect righteous anger against sin that is in rebellion against him. And so my debt against God is enormous. Our rebellion against a holy king is greater than we can pay because it's eternal death. And we owe him this sentence. It's hell. And so he takes this document that stands against us and he wipes it clean, but he doesn't just wipe it clean, he destroys it. He nails it to the cross itself. And this is probably referring to an ancient practice of nailing the written evidence of a canceled debt in a public place so that everyone could see that the creditor no longer had power over the person who used to be in debt. They would nail it up so everyone could see it. So not only is our document erased, but it's actually destroyed. Here's an interesting question. Why doesn't it say that Jesus was nailed to the cross? It does. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became our document of debt, which was nailed to the cross. Jesus was crushed for our iniquities, for our sin. When we look at the cross, we can look and we can see Jesus who became our record of debt to a holy God who is nailed there and destroyed in our place. And this gives entirely new meaning to what Jesus said, that if the Son sets you free, you will be free, free indeed. You and I have been given a gift that we could never calculate, that we could never measure, that we could never pay for. We have been forgiven. Our betrayal, our sin, our debt, forgiven because of what Jesus did at the cross. How often do you and I withhold forgiveness from someone else? That person may deserve you being angry at them, but you and I deserved hell for eternity. We have no right to receive such a gift and withhold it from someone else. And you know what? People have done terrible things. And maybe terrible things have happened to you from someone who deserves punishment for it.
But Jesus calls us to a standard of doing the impossible that's outside of our strength and forgiving. I always put in the disclaimer that it doesn't mean you trust that person and it doesn't mean that they don't need to be brought to authorities or justice if it's something that they need to have justice for. But Jesus is actually calling you, even if it's not to trust them or be alone with them or whatever it is, he is still calling you to forgive them. And that's hard to swallow, but it's real. And it's Jesus' gift to us that he calls us to forgive others. So we as Christians, we don't have membership cards that we hold up at the Sam's door or at the church door. Hey, here's my card. We don't have facial scars that, recon that you know, recognize us as being part of the tribe. And circumcision was fulfilled when the Redeemer stood in flesh. He was here. But we have the picture of baptism. And it's a picture that long after that Sunday morning is over, that dunking is finished, long after that, God sees our hearts that have been baptized into him. And people should see someone whose lives have been transformed. They should see the mark of baptism in our lives. Baptism is profound and it's beautiful because it points to the inward mark of citizenship in his kingdom. And that's a transformed heart. Recap. Circumcision was once the mark of the covenant between God and his people. It showed that sin was generational, that God's promises were generational, and it looked forward to a coming redeemer through the family of Abraham. God has established a new covenant with a new symbolic mark of inclusion. Baptism is the external sign of God's internal work. Our sin nature is put to death, buried with Christ, and we are resurrected to new life in him. And at salvation, our sins are forgiven, wiped away, and nailed to the cross. So I've got three challenges for you. The first is that if you haven't been baptized yet, it is a wonderful, beautiful sign of what God's done on the inside of you. And if you want to be baptized at Living Word Church, you can get on livingwordhoma.com, and you go to requests, and you can sign up for baptism right there. Super easy. You can do it in like two and a half minutes. Second challenge is that I challenge you to run from sin. Stop dabbling. Stop seeing how close you can get to sin. And the third is I challenge you to forgive. Who is it in your life that you've been withholding forgiveness from? Thank you, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for working in our hearts where we can never reach. Thank you for Jesus, the Redeemer who has promised that did the perfect and sufficient work at the cross. Thank you for nailing our debt to the cross. Thank you that you resurrect us to new life spiritually. And we can even look forward to a day in the future when we will resurrect bodily. That's crazy. Thank you, Jesus, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. 
Now go, follow Jesus.